welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Nails here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman, and I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. Coming off of the most dominant poker performance in Tuesday night Crown Cigar Poker history, Shane Reeves. The Reeves family sweep I got the first and the wife got second. I put four people out on the opening hand with two, three. On the opening hand of the entire game? Of the, op- of the entire game. I had four go you, all in, and I stayed in with two, three, and one with trip threes. Wow. And all. But it was, it was one of those deals. It's like, okay, it's the opening hand. Two, three's not great, but then what flopped up, I still had straight. I still had flush potential. I had plenty of potential and ended up winning it with trips. Wow. And then... I just steamrolled them. From that point on, everybody else was playing for You're second. one of the few guys that can protect a, trip, uh, a chip lead at, that plays at this shop. Uh, mo- most people, when uh, a chip lead kind of falls off pretty quickly just because of the st- because it's such a, a familiar game. But before we bore everyone to death with our poker talk. I was going to give a play-by-play, hand-by-hand. I know you would because you're so <laughs> excited. I can still see it on your face how excited you are. But tonight uh, we do have a huge pack show. Um, we've got some cigar experience stuff that we want to talk about, uh, some big industry news that just hit yesterday and uh, or you know, earlier in the week as you hear this. Uh, and we've got uh, a great interview coming up in the second half of the show. So along those lines, that influences what we're smoking tonight. Yeah, so tonight I'm smoking the Pichardo Habano, Which, an excellent cigar. Yeah, I, I wrote it down as Cubano. That's not right. Um, and I'm smoking uh, the Pichardo San Andreas. So this is one of those things where we just serendipity being what it is. We walked into the shop tonight, and there were some. And these guys were here. It's a, a new company. They just launched at IP or PCA this year, and I've got to tell you. So a bit out of order. We've already been smoking. Someone comes out with a new cigar, and you know you you want to be nice when you're smoking their cigar, and and you want to you know kind of withhold judgment as much as possible. Not for nothing, this cigar is amazing. You know, he handed me one when I come in because I was I was actually purchasing a Guardian of the Farm Night Watch to smoke, and he said, "Well, what do you like, Shane?" And I was, "Is Bo and Bo Cook, great guy with Ace Prime cigars." Um, I said, well, I like full body, but I like complexity. And he said, here, and he handed me that one first. And I smoked it, and it was just wonderful. Yeah, and as big a fans as we both are of San Andreas as well, I mean, this this does it so well. And uh, we're going to sit down with Luciano uh, in the second half of the show, and he's going to kind of talk about some of some of what went into this. And it's just the, the story behind, you know, being a, a longstanding cigar manufacturer, to the first time releasing their own stick is, is, is wonderful. So um, before we get too much into the show, though, I've got to ask. So last week, I, I threw down a challenge. We, you were talking about looking for a new cutter, and I said, if you're looking to drop some coin, try my Lamborghini Le Mans cutter. What did you think? I really liked it. I liked the feel of it in my hand. It's a, only one blade moves. I do like the single blade. I don't like the double blade motion. Right. To, to be clear, it does have two blades, but it's only one of them is in motion. Right. I guess it would be called a fixed blade cutter. Right. And I was able to, I just snipped the very tip of the cap off. It was dex, my dexterity while holding it was perfect. I really like that cutter. How lightweight is it compared to what you were expecting? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's one of the things that blows me away about that cutter. Um, I also happened, um, you know, to have the matching lighter, which both are so lightweight, which, you know, being named after a Lamborghini, it's not carbon fiber, but it kind of feels it's that same, like, really lightweight, really... Um, it, it's. I love that cutter. I should really carry it more often. I like the cutter. I like the size of it. You know, and here's the thing. I smoke a big ring gauge cigar, but I don't need a ring gauge, a 60 ring gauge cutter because when I'm where I'm cutting is rarely, you know, past the 35. Well, and that's why you know th- there was the the big daddy cutter came on the market or whatever it was called. It was called something like that. It came on the market about 10 years ago, eight years ago, and it was the idea was it was a 70 ring gauge cutter. Right now. Who needs that? Most 70 ring gauges taper because no one can hold that in their mouth. 
Yeah, and like you said, even at a 60, you're never clipping more than 54 ring gauge. Right. I'm always going to be clipping as close to the end. If you clip the cap off of your cigar, you've defeated the purpose of having the cap. Right. I, I tutored a gentleman here at the shop the other day. I said, you just because all of his cigars were getting that gnawed look on the end and flattening out, and he thought it was the way he's smoking. And I said, no, it's the fact that you're cutting way too deep. Right. And uh, when, I, when I lay down a cigar, the end is not deformed. The end looks perfect. And that's the way you should smoke a cigar. If, you, if you're chomping on it and you're biting on it and you're pushing it with your teeth and all that stuff, don't abuse the tobacco. Let the tobacco come to you. Right. And uh, if you feel like you've got to chew on it to get it done. Right. But let's talk about the other end of the cigar. Yeah, let's talk about this. So uh, you brought up uh, something you wanted to talk about last week, and we ran out of time, and we wanted to make sure we hit it this week because this is something that um, I actually, believe it or not, feel pretty passionately about because there are a lot of people in the cigar industry that will tell you never to relight a cigar, that once it go like, don't let it go out because once you do, it's not the same. We've talked about it a little bit on the show before about how that's not exactly true, although there is some truth to it. Um, I believe that if cigar, if a cigar goes out, you're fine to relight it as long as you get to it pretty quickly. But once the entire cigar goes cold, that's when... And Now, that being said, I still relight it at that point because I'm cheap. But, but um, the, you do get flavor changes. But as long as you get to it while it's still hot. But there is a specific way that you should go about relighting a cigar. Yeah, I believe... The, I, I know I got this advice from an aficionado article. Um, I don't know if you heard this from talking to me or if you got it from a similar article some time ago. Yeah, you know, the biggest thing is to get the old smoke out. So there's two ty- scenarios where this happens, or three actually. There's a scenario where you're involved in a football game and having a, a heated conversation and your cigar just goes out. Deep involved with a brain trust. Any of those things. Now, they're now the Illuminati Fumatori. Um, we're now... Shouldn't I, as the founder, shouldn't I have been informed of that? I just did. Oh. <laughs> I, that wasn't ratified correctly. I've uh, got to have a... There's a shake-up in my circle. That's all right. I'm, I'm planning a hostile takeover. <laughs> but when we all meet, and occasionally your cigar will go out, and you can relight a cigar immediately with no trouble. Right. Um, I'm actually not stand, sitting on the hood of that car that just cranked. He just <laughs> cranks really loud. He's due for a starter. But the um, if you just accidentally go out, you're safe to relight, you know, within minutes. Yeah. Because there's still some embers in there. Right. Now, do you ever perform CPR on your cigar? Do you? I mean, because for me to relight a cigar, it means that I have blew through it, I have drawn, I have massaged it, I have... I have gone through, you know, I'm singing Stay It Alive, poking it on the chest. I'm doing everything I can before I relight. So I will. If I start to notice, so kind of a a top tip, I was actually talking with our executive producer about this the other night, Uh, stovepiping. Stovepiping is rarely the result of poor construction and is almost always, at least in my experience, the result of poor smoking behavior. So, because what happens is as you're not drawing on it frequently enough to keep that fire lit correctly, there's a higher concentration of that fire in the center of the cigar. So that's more likely to stay lit for longer than the outside is. So if you do start to see your cigar starting to go out, what you're going to experience as a result of that is that stove piping where it's just burning down the center. Oftentimes what I'll do in that case, if I start to notice that, is just start puffing on it a bit more frequently and a, li- a bit more vigorously too kind of like kind of like reverse CPR is yeah. you know just taking those and most of the time that'll get it if I catch it fast enough other times it's too far gone and you just have to touch up the wrapper but that's not really a true relight if there's if you've I mean but you are right to a point that if you let it go past that point it is still not out even if it's not smoking right the second scenario is where you accidentally have a cigar go out you're you know you're smoking a cigar and all of a sudden something catches on fire and you have to go take care of it or or in my case you set it down to go to an appointment you know i I smoke in my car and so it's sometimes i don't get to finish the cigar before i get to the you know where i'm going i have to sit and it you know it sits there for 15 20 minutes it goes out yeah you know something sometimes that'll happen especially if i'm like grilling yeah 
you know, my grilling cigar, usually I sit down and light my cigar at the same time I light, you know, turn my Traeger on and I get the pellets fired up and get the grill to heat. And generally, I lay it down when I'm putting the meat on it. If I ain't careful, it'll go out in that time. Oh, yeah. And when it goes totally out in that method, now, I always, first thing I do when I pick it up is I blow the smoke back out of it. I really give it a good reverse draw. I do something first, and that's make sure that I tap all of the ash off first. So, um, and this is... Um, I mean, just like just like you would ash a cigar, where you kind of tap it on the side. You know, you're not don't scrape it on anything. You know, that's just going to destroy the foot. Just go ahead and give it, but a significant and substantial tap of several times to make sure you've cleared off all of the ash off the end of that cigar first. The biggest reason for that is not about drawing ash in, but it's about have it, letting the flame have the best opportunity to get to to the tobacco underneath it, right. Th- then blow through it. And that's what's going to prevent the smell and the taste change from coming through. Yeah, if you're burning char, you will end up with that, that foul taste. But if you're not burning char, if you're burning clean tobacco, once again, now, do you ever do the second cut? Do you ever take the big cutter and just whack the end off a little bit? Almost never. The only time, the only scenario in which I'll do that is if it was already going crooked on me and I just let it go out to to have a a hard reset. Um, That's where scissors are fantastic because then you can actually properly get around it without having to slide the burnt ashy end through the cutter, which later is going to clip the end that your mouth goes on. Um, Or I guess you could have a a separate cutter that's designed just for that. I don't know. but yeah, I rarely ever do surgery in that regard. Well, you know, I don't want to have a Sherpa follow me around of all my cigar accessories. Although you're getting close to that. I'm, yeah, I'm heading that direction. You are. The other the other thing I will say about it's one of the few scenarios, a relight is one of the few scenarios where I may, and this just kind of depends on my mood at the time, actually do a um, kind of a toast, you know, Without without drawing on the cigar, bring the flame to the foot. Mostly that so that the the smoke, the initial smoke that comes off of it, that char is not being drawn through the cigar, but it actually kind of goes up and away. And then that way, it's it's significantly relit or at least close to it when I first draw through that I don't get as much of that flavor. And the last scenario is when you're planning to relight a cigar. When you're like, okay, I want to smoke this cigar. I've got 20 minutes, and then I'll finish it on my way back. Right. And so what's your, what's your standard procedure, standard operating procedure for when that's going to happen? Um, it starts before it actually goes out. I, I kind of, it, it's kind of like smoking on your grill. So when you're, when you're grilling, you've got as many coals as hot as you can and to get that good sear. But when you're smoking, what you're, really, what you're doing is you're choking out the coals to keep them at a, at a low enough temp but still lit, and it's kind of a delicate balance. It's a little, little dance. I'll do the same thing with my cigar. I will slow down on smoking it so that it starts to go out, but I'll nurse it a little bit. I'll give it a little puff here and there just to keep it burning evenly, to, to keep it as, as concise a, a, a bed of ash as possible so that I'm giving myself the cleanest opportunity to come back to. And then blow the old smoke out of yep, it. Yep, same, same thing. Knock all the ash off. If you've, done, if you've done it right, there's very little ash left on it because you've been kind of slowly letting it die out as opposed to just kind of going out. And then, and then yeah, blow through it and then light it back up. And when I light it back up, so when I typically light a cigar, I hold the cigar above the flame and I draw the flame up to the cigar. But if I'm going to do a relight, I tend to circumnavigate the cigar a little more, get the edges hot before I try to get the middle back. If anybody has ever wondered whether or not we're cigar nerds, we've just spent 10 minutes on relighting a dang cigar and and the nuances and the specifics of the, like, if, if that doesn't tell you how nerdy we get about this sort of thing. Well, and it's it's an important skill because, you know, you're, you're dealing with a significant investment. It's true. And all, especially of a good cigar, and, and you have that moment where you're like, "Man, I want—that's the cigar I want," and I don't have time to smoke the whole thing right now. Right. So yeah, the very important top tips for actually keeping the light. Now, the other article I found 
was from Cigar Lovers Magazine. Did you know there's a Cigar Lovers Magazine? I did, actually. And it's about the ash. It's from Luca Cominelli from 812 of 2017. And he talks about what your ash can tell you about your cigar. This is, and uh, I will try and post a link to this somewhere this week when the, uh, because this is, for someone, uh, people talk about how ash is a symbol of the quality of construction and all the things that your ash tells you about a cigar. Some of it's anecdotal, most of it's anecdotal, some of it is dubious in science. This article does such a good job of really explaining what you're looking at and what you're seeing when you uh, when you measure the ash. Well, and the one I got from the article was the whiter the ash, the better your combustion is. Mm-hmm. The the blacker the ash, the poorer the quality of the smoke, the poorer the quality of your combustion. And that's going back to the grill analogy, if you use or even like a fire pit or something if you look at a campfire and the ash that's left over, you'll notice that when you completely combust a, a piece of wood, it's it's white. And then when you partially combust a piece of wood, that's charcoal, that's black. And then, you know, and it exists, you know, all along that spectrum. But the idea is, yes, the cleaner the color, the cleaner the burn. The other the more complete the burn. The other interesting part they hit on this article is the boiling ash. And if you look at the picture, you'll kind of see he's lighting the center of the cigar and the outer edges are not lit. So he's not following our, our right. protocol. And that, I think that is part of lighting, when relighting the cigar, getting that exterior burning is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. The, the combustion of the wrapper is... A, going to be more of what you see when you're looking at your ash. You're very rarely going to see deep into the the network of the cigar. Um, but it's also, if you get the exterior lit, the, the flame... I wish people could see my hand motion. Um, the exterior of the cigar is being drawn in, so it's taking that heat and that flame through the whole cigar versus just lighting the center. You're, it's just going to follow that path of least resistance. Yeah, and, you know, we've spoke about it because one of the most basic rules of cigar etiquette is controlling your ash. Right. For the most part, we're talking about don't ash on the floor. Right. But there is certain other, there are certain other aspects to this. One of the things that I thought was so fascinating was the first thing he talks about in the article, and it's the little white spots, and I know you've all seen this, the little white spots on on the edge of the ash, and I have found, and I don't know if there's any science behind this or if it's just what I'm thinking of, I find this tends to happen more on really toothy wrappers. Right. And I tend to notice that they pretty much mirror the uh, the network or the, the arrangement of those little teeth, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, but what it is, it's complete combustion. Well, and you get a little more of those. I think the more humidified your cigar is, the higher, you know, if you're smoking a cigar setting at 74% humidity as opposed to one setting at 69, I tend to get a little more white spotty. Right. And that, that may have everything to do with the humidity as well. But really interesting article, really well written. I love a well written cigar article. I do too. Um, from a well written cigar article to one that's leaving out a whole lot of details. Um, something I found fascinating, and I love this, because Tampa, Florida, really does still... I mean, Cigar City, Florida, basically. It was the home to so many cigar factories for a very long time, and it's kind of the la- It's still a destination for cigar enthusiasts. Well, one of the old cigar factories, uh, the old Balbin Brothers uh, Cigar Factory, is getting new life. And I just think this is fascinating. And I don't know that I really have a reason to go to Tampa anytime soon, but I, I do hope that this is open by the time I, I, I do find myself in Tampa. Basically, um, the, a, um, a hotel company has bought the old factory, and they're currently in the stages. They've, they've done all the zoning hearings and the permit pulls and stuff like that, and they're in the process of turning this old cigar factory into a 35,000 square foot boutique hotel. And they haven't shown anything but the renderings of what it's going to look like on the outside. I'd love to see what this is going to look like on the inside. But how great to see a piece of that city's history preserved 
in that way to be uh, you know to be part of the the new growing Tampa. It is. It's really cool because classic architecture. You know, Tampa is was this Ebor city, and Tampa was founded largely by immigrants. So there's so many different immigrant styles of architecture, from German to Italian to Cuban to all of those. And it's nice to see them preserving that architecture and trying to work with it instead of just knocking it down and building an ICF monolith. Right. And and one of the things you know, it's going to have 70 rooms, so it's going to be fairly small. Um, the building itself was built in 1904, uh, which is kind of right in the middle in terms of the age of these types of factories that are down there. But one of the things that makes it unique and I think probably made it an I- ideal for this project is that unlike others from the same area, this factory was built with really tall windows, really high ceilings. So it's going to have a, a very grand appearance from the inside. And I think that's going to be fascinating. So I'm, I'm really keeping my eye out on this. Well, we're planning to do the walking cigar tour in Ybor City when we go down there in October. And, I th- and I'll be interested to see. I'll have this picture kind of in my head and see if they take us past this point. Yeah. Well, there were about 200 factories uh, kind of operating out of Ybor City from the late 1800s to the mid-1990s. Um, kind of through the cigar boom, but not really much after, uh, pretty much when smoking became, you know, evil. Um, there's only about 24 or, or so still standing from that time. So uh, I, hopefully this goes well so that what's left of those old factories can hopefully be preserved in, in some way similar. Well, let's take a quick break. Let's break just a little bit early tonight, and let's have our interview with Luciano Mayrell when we come back. Trey here. Instead of a cigar under eight this week, we're going to do something a little different. I want to bring you an historical tidbit about cigars. I'm sure all of you at some point have heard the term stogie, and I'm curious to know, Shane, do you know where this name comes from? I do. It's actually named after Conestoga, Pennsylvania. So what's really interesting about this is that was a very rich, and still to a certain point is, very rich tobacco growing area. It was also the birthplace uh, or the home of the Conestoga Wagon Company. So you can stop me if you want to jump in, but that basically the, um, the Conestoga wagons were kind of like the, the Wells Fargo wagons that would make long trips. The, the wagon masters developed a certain affinity for these really long cigars that were made in the area because they, number one, resembled the spokes on a wagon wheel, but also were long enough for them to make the entire trip. But it's an interesting piece of information, and I'm, I refer to it many times. You hear me say, hold my stogie. Right. And I, I just love the term stogie. So that's a great piece of history for all our listeners this week. We're back with... Luciano Meirelles. I, I owe you a dollar. You owe me a dollar for pronouncing <laughs> it right. And Lucio Luciano, I got the. I can't believe I got the first name that's wrong. That's a quarterback. That, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. It sounds sounds good. Luciano has. Um, it was just happened to be here at the shop. This is one and, of the things I love about the, this shop and the industry as a whole is you never know who's walking through the door that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I came in. I'd kind of been stressed out and. Someone was the rep was here and he said, "Hey, try one of these." What do you, you know? I was getting a Guardian of the Farm Night Watch. He said, "No, try one of these." He gave me the the Pachardo with the San Andreas wrapper, or yeah, San Andreas wrapper, and it was wonderful. It's just what I needed to calm down, to take it easy, relax. I've been sitting here for about an hour and a half and smoked it nice and slow. And Nicaraguan tobacco is by far yes. superior. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm biased. Uh, but <laughs> so we are do, we. Yeah, we do. Uh, of course, we love Nicaraguan uh, tobacco. That's uh, one of our main uh, resources. We do, of course, use tobacco from other different regions all over the world. But uh, uh, yeah, I love Nicaraguan tobacco. <laughs> so okay, give us a hi- give us some history about Ace Prime and Luciano. I want to hear of about. Of course, you. yeah, Ace Prime. Uh, well, our story starts in, in Nicaragua 12 years ago when uh, we decided really to uh, perfect our, uh, our uh, manufacturing skills. So we, we started as a manufacturer. We started actually an, as a nonprofit with only four tables. 
Uh, and we, uh, we're just blending for uh, one blend uh, that was also a nonprofit blend brand. And uh, all the proceeds of that re, uh, wholesale was going back to poor communities in Nicaragua. That's kind of how we started. That's awesome. Uh, but we realized that becoming a for-profit company, we could employ more people, we could help more communities. And, and I'd like to say that we, uh, we, we definitely care about the 300 hands that touch that cigar. Uh, we'd like to go beyond the luxury of a cigar and tell people, you know, uh, what there is passion. You know, yeah. in, in every single step of our production. So, do you still contribute part of proceeds from that line? And yeah, I think even even more to that. I mean, we, I, of course, you know that you, you probably know the whole whole philosophy of, of not giving the fish, but teaching people right. how to fish, right? So we, we decided to teach people how to fish in Nicaragua instead of uh, of just giving money, uh, we start giving them jobs. and oh, that's and, fantastic. And, and pressuring the, the city hall to actually contribute in the same project and, and connect, you know, the houses to the, the water system, uh, build sewer uh, for for the houses as well, and uh, uh, pavimenting all the roads around uh, our facilities. And one decision that we made that I believe created a huge impact in Nicaragua was instead of having one huge processing facility, because we have the manufacturing in one building, but we have processing facilities spread all over Staley. So, because you know, creating a tobacco is almost like a 24-hour uh, yeah. job. So you, you got to control the temperature all the time. Uh, and our employees are always having a hard time coming to work because the transportation system in Staley is very uh, precarious. And okay. we we had to uh, find a way to, uh, to help their, you know, uh, give them some more opportunities to work. So instead of having a huge facility, we actually created small facilities in very poor communities. So we could bring development to those communities and at the same time uh, give the opportunity for, uh, for you know, those, those employees to kind of... As far as I work. know, you guys would be the only ones doing that. Is that correct? No. I oh. mean, I, I, I... Well... I can say that uh, we have very, very good uh, manufacturers in Nicaragua that really take care of their people. I can, mm -hmm. I can name some of them. Of course, unfortunately, they also there are some big manufacturers who don't have the same, uh, the same mentality, right. which is very unfortunate. But I can tell you, uh, I'll give an example. Uh, what uh, Ernesto Carrillo does in Dominican Republic is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like what he, how he treats his employees, it's yeah. amazing. I've, I, I, He's one of my mentors, too. I, I actually started because of him, which is a long story. Uh, but uh, I would say A.J. Fernandez, if you go to his factory, they have actually a daycare for all the kids, all the employees' kids. Oh, wow. Uh, they have a, a doctor on site if, they, if something happens, you know, there's always someone there. Uh, in our, our factory, we offer yeah. clinics, uh, you know, at least two checkups a year for each one of the employees. Uh, we try to try to do good, you know. We, I, we really believe that uh, those things they need to come together. You know, uh, yeah. it's not about being charitable. It's actually about doing the right thing. Right, and that's one of the things that I really love. I mean, um, yes, on the charitable side, you know, Cigars for Warriors is is one that we yep. both participate in. It's a uh, beautiful program. Yeah, and I just it's one of the things I love about the cigar industry is that it's so many people that are focused on giving back, mm -hmm. and and especially like you mentioned at the manufacturer level, being able not just to give a fish but teach to fish, and I, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. So tell us about the cigars you got to smoke it, because I'm really enjoying this. I'm of smoking course. the Habano. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't think I mentioned, but we, we've been manufacturing cigars for, uh, for several brands for many years uh, under NDAs. And uh, recently, some of our NDAs decided to disclose, which was very good for us, especially at this very beginning. Oh, yeah. If you look up uh, online, you know, friends like Ernesto, uh, the Newman family, uh, they actually are nesting the numerous, so let's be clear here. We, they are not our clients, but they're very good friends. Uh, but they gave in, in a, a tremendous amount of support uh, when we decided really to launch our own, own brands. Uh, you can see uh, there's a couple uh, endorsements that you can find online about our products and who we are. And because and, they've been uh, watching our journey also for a long time as well. So being a manufacturer for other brands... Uh, made us, uh, I would say, very much proficient in, in, in the construction. And, and also, we 
we could develop over the years a, a different methods of creating tobacco and of course we have our own recipes uh, but we, we have this tremendous relationship with all the tobacconists in, in Stelly as well so we, we exchange a lot of tobacco, we trade a lot of tobacco, we build blends together and uh, we decided to launch our own own stuff and, and <laughs> it's funny because we, we've been working on this project for, for many years, you know, really waiting for the right time to launch our, our lines and we tried to find bitolas, cigars that we could actually make something unique about them. So every single cigar that we have today in our lines, I, I can say uh, with all my heart that they are they have something special. They are they are different in some way. Uh, I was explaining to you guys about that uh, the blend we did for Tiago Splitter with the MXS that we revert uh, inverse all the the visos and the heroes in the cigar to create uh, three different experiences. Uh, we aged all the Pichardo lines, the one you're smoking right now. The average age in that tobacco that you're smoking is about three years and a half, plus 18 months in our humidor, already rolled, waiting to be uh, to be shipped. So we, we also did the anaerobic process in this cigar. We remove all the oxygen. So there's a gas in your exchange uh, for three months, and then we put back in the humidor. So there's a huge process of blending, uh, and only time can... Right. really provide that result and we're very proud of those lines speaking of time we were talking to uh, Bo earlier before the show about um, it it you know you guys have been making cigars for for other companies for a mm-hmm. while but the Pachardo line was about two years in the making from when you decided to really start That's correct tell us a little bit about that experience uh, what was your kind of vision yeah. did you did you accomplish your vision and kind of what what did it take to get it to market yeah oh we definitely accomplished the vision in terms of having like a, a unique product I think we do have. I know every tobacconist says the same thing. Oh, I have a unique product. <laughs> but uh, I believe we do. I really believe we do. And uh, what is hard about uh, planning a launch of that kind of a cigar is, it, I mean, you have to really, uh, really guess what the demand will be. Right. Because you have no track record of consumption of that specific blend that you, you built. So I don't know how many cigars I'm going to sell a year, two years from now. So you have to create a projection. And that projection makes you dream. Right. And that's, that's beautiful because I can think about um, how the cigar will really penetrate the market and how people will respond to that uh, specific blend and what kind of... Even we do have regional palates. It's, 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 a, it's crazy. Like if you, don't, if you go to Florida, people smoke different things over there. And in the, if you go to, like, the Midwest, it's a completely different... People don't believe this, but the weather influences so much in the type of smoke you have. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, we kind of try to study as much as we could the market, and we do have a business plan for 10, 15, 20 years from now to provide exactly the same kind of smoke that we, uh, we are providing right now. So Excellent. We have consistency is one of our main goals. Well, I'm really impressed. It's a good mouth feel. You don't feel it really on any particular portion so much as it's just a good mouth, a good full experience. And that's, I love the fullness of the smoke. That's one of the reasons I like Nicaraguan tobacco. I like the fullness of the smoke. I don't like to have too much of something, you know, right on the tip of my tongue or too much right on the back corner. And all Brazilian tobacco tends to do that to me. I'll get a little bit off balance, off kilter of Brazilian tobacco. But Nicaraguan tobacco is just such a full feel. It's interesting you saying that because... I, I agree with you, I, and I think that's also, uh, there's a lot to do with the processing of the leaves. Uh, unfortunately, today, with all the, the growing demand of cigars all over the world, people don't have the patience to really uh, ferment tobacco. Uh, and, and especially, you know, the American market specifically, uh, they like, uh, when you talk about a uh, full body cigar, they think of something spicy and harsh sometimes usually you get that result out of actually uh, raw tobacco so if the tobacco is not enough uh, ferment fermented uh, you basically get that harshness a lot and that tip of the tongue that you're talking about with the Brazilian Matafina or Arapiraca those are the two most popular species of of tobacco from Brazil Uh, it comes from the fact that it's People just love that tobacco, and everybody's trying to buy the tobacco. <laughs> and say they don't wait enough to really age that tobacco before mm-hmm. they blend. And because the matafina, especially the Brazilian matafina, it's extremely sweet and extremely pleasant, you know. 
and it's not it's not too persistent but you feel that it is because that tobacco is not aged properly right. that's very very unfortunate and now they're changing so they, they call it because it's so popular the Brazilian tobacco now instead of using uh, fillers they are usually using for binders now so you see a lot of uh, blends now being actually binded with uh, Matafina but my, fa- my favorite one is Arapiraca <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I really like the mouthfeel of it. I like the smoke. It's mm-hmm. that good, rich, thick Thank smoke you. that I really enjoy. I mean, you've done a great job. That means a lot. Thank you very much. I really, and, and Trey and I smoke a lot of cigars. We spend a lot of time talking about cigars. We'll, when we wrap the show tonight, we'll sit down and talk about cigars. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you said <laughs> this is the San Andreas that I'm smoking, correct? Yes, it is. It's a very well-aged like San Andreas. It. Yeah. It's, one of the things that I noticed about this one is on the cold draw. And mm-hmm. how I felt like so, so a lot of times you cold draw a cigar and it's just okay. That's a cigar. Mm-hmm. And there are other times you get. Uh, you mentioned AJ Fernandez. He's he's uh, the master at, at giving the flavor of the cigar through that cold draw. Mm-hmm. I got that out of this, and that's one of those things that I felt is okay. There's something here, and then as soon as I lit it up, it just came alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know you take a lot of pride in this cigar, and I say it's well founded. Thank I'm, you. I'm Thank really you enjoying much. this. Thank you very much. Yeah, we have like this. Uh, we have this saying uh, when you co-draw a cigar of course the first thing you're looking for is a draw so you want to make sure there's you know air coming through and, and, and that's really important but you, you I like to co-draw cigars because you, you can actually feel the strength by that co-draw remember I told you about the, the raw tobacco yeah if the tobacco is too raw you're going to get nothing on the co-draw but right. when you light it it'll be that harshness you know mm-hmm. So that's a very good way to really find out if a cigar is a full body. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure you cold draw first because you're going to get that, uh, yeah. even the, the nicotine, you know, through the, the cold, cold draw. Yeah. So was your family in the tobacco business or <laughs> no, did you kind of, are you first generation? How does that I am, work? I am first generation, man. I'm first generation. Well, well, my, my partner is the fourth generation of tobacconists. Uh, Pichardo, he's a, he's a true legend. But I am... I am. I can say I'm a newbie, right? So I've been only in this industry for 12 years. Passionate. I've been smoking cigars for maybe, I don't know, since I was 12, so almost 40 years. But I I, I got into in the industry 12 years ago, uh, and that's how I met my friend uh, Ernesto. And and from there I couldn't get out. I dove into it. <laughs> yeah, when you find there's nothing better than having a job that you have passion with. That's I mean, true. There's nothing That's makes, very true. makes the day any better. Yeah. But thank you so much for giving us your time tonight. We won't My take pleasure. too much of your time. I know you've got no, a busy schedule and you're yeah. headed to Corona Cigar to see buddy Jeff Borowitz down there. That's true. That's true. We have a Jeff's- big event coming up. We are, fortunately, uh, Ace Prime is in the most uh, prestigious cigar lounges in the country right now. And uh, we're really proud of that. I understand you just signed up one of my favorite cigar shops here in town earlier today that's true. too. So, that's true. So that's 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 a good. That's what what am I trying to say? Um, that, that bodes well. Hmm. Well, those, those guys are highly selective. Yeah. That's the nice. I think that's the nicest thing you can say is when because when Bo gave me that mm-hmm. one earlier today and I smoked it, I said, "Okay, I know how hard it is getting cigars into this shop sometimes." Yeah. I said, where can I buy these? So they're starting yeah. them up there at Smoker's Abbey, so I'm, I'm going to yeah. be all about that. That's just- I, I want to say something off the record, and then you guys can edit just, all of right. course, I, I will trust your judgment. Um, it's funny when I get asked about uh, for how long I've been in the cigar industry, and I know many tobacconists that uh, claim to be third, fourth generation of tobacconists, which is true, but it's funny how most of them that right now in the industry, they actually was doing, they were doing something else. Their father, grandfather was in the industry, but they were doing something, something else. Some of them just got into the industry five years ago, six years ago. Isn't that funny? Some big names. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, next time you're in town, we want to get sit down and we really want to get into the weeds of growing the tobacco. Oh, yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to do this. By the way, this you can put on record. I love to deconstruct my cigars and show people what is inside. For us, it's all about unveiling and really showing to uh, our consumers what they are smoking. Because this is tobacco wrapped in tobacco. Yeah. Uh, we talk a lot about that. Talk about premium cigars and long fillers and medium fillers. I like to actually really demonstrate that. And sometimes oh, yeah. even burn leaf by leaf so people can really have the different experiences of all the different uh, you know, 
profiles yeah. and understand how the blending process occurs. Absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely do that next time we have you in town. Excellent. Thank you so much Thank for your you. time. Thank, Thank you, you so much for showing up. Absolutely. All right, real quick before we get too much further into the show, before we wrap it up, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the biggest news in the industry that happened this week. Yeah, STG to acquire Royal Agio for $231 million. Now, I found this particularly interesting because myself, and I'm guessing probably most of our listeners, had never heard of Royal Agio before. Um, They are uh, uh, based in the Netherlands, and so they're mostly a machine-made... You completely missed the ashtray. They're, they make mostly machine-made cigars, but they're also the parent company of one of your favorites, Balmoral. You know, and Balmoral has not received the wide release that I wish it had. It's kind of you're kind of hunting a needle in a haystack finding Balmoral. Well, I mean, Scandinavian Tobacco Group owning General and having such a big presence in most humidors, maybe this is their opportunity. It seems like a good move. It seems like a good move for the guys at Balmoral who make a great cigar. They have two new varieties out that I have not got to try yet. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm interesting. You know, they have sales of 6.7 billion Danish kroner. That's 987 million in 2018. Yeah. So it sounds like they got, they really, you know, they purchased this for steel. It sounds like, but and and I was in, in, interested to find out they make seven hundred and seventy million cigars per year. That's a granted. Most of them, like I said, are, are machine made, but that's quite a production. That is, and I I like you know part of this article I like is I like that Royal Agio is helping them you know foster their premium cigar market. And move away from the machine-made smoke because I just do not care for the machine-made cigar. That that is one of the few things that we really disagree on when it comes to cigars. Is that I actually there are several cigars, machine-made cigars that I really do like. I know I know that your judgment is partially tempered by what you can get across the street at the gas station over there, also being machine-made. But Villiger being one that makes a an, a phenomenal machine-made cigar. If I could ever find one again, I would be happy to to share with you. How good a machine-made cigar could be? They, they have them in Columbia. Oh, do At they ba- really? Battleground South in Columbia, Tennessee has the Villagers. Well, next time you're there, pick one up and tell me that you don't like it. I'll have to give it a try. I'll have to give it a shot. But, yeah, that's big cigar news. I do. I've got to double back because I do want to say, did you feel the passion that Luciano was portraying? I really did. And it, it was one of those few, and, and I'm... By the time you're hearing this part of the show, it will have either happened or not. We were sitting here with him before we started recording, and he was talking with such passion about his company and the people he works with and, you know, everything that his company is doing. And I just I had to hit the record so that I didn't miss all of this amazing content we were getting. So I've got to figure out how to plug it back in. Um, But yes, I mean, even it, it exuded from him. Yeah, he's. I, I love someone, you know, all week I've been saying, in a world where everyone can be elite, why do we have so many people choose to be average? And he's a man that has chosen to be elite. And I, I really respect that. I respect how passionate he is. He's first generation. He's stepping out there. He's going out on his own, making his own brand, making his own way. I'm, I'm a fan. I will. Yeah, and and as I said at the top of the show, cigar, phenomenal. And it gets better as you go through it. I mean, this one just keeps producing. This just keeps being a good cigar. It really does, and I've got a couple more to try, and I just can't wait. Um, But, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pronounce judgment now. It's a six. Oh, it's definite six, maybe six and a half. Uh, uh, Yeah, I I would absolutely agree with that. And on my way back out during the break, as I was coming back out, I stopped one of our regular smokers here. Um, Rob, who has a very evolved palate. Rob ha- Rob does not give himself enough credit for the palate he possesses. He has a very evolved palate, and I really, um, he said he really likes that cigar. He said it, it actually reminds him Padron. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can I can see that. Um, this one, and I'll save the name for, for when I actually do pronounce, I, I'm expecting a seven out of that. 
yeah. I have no doubt. If, if it's as good as the rest of this, plus some of the extra information we have on it, I'm expecting a seven. But So we've got a few more minutes before we cash out on this half of the show. want to talk about a couple of other pieces of news that you sent me this week. Um, just kind of uh, from an kind of a cigars in the news kind of standpoint, uh, we have uh, a new uh, cigar event that's going to be taking place. Much like PCA, this is um, industry only, which I couldn't tell from your text if that was tongue in cheek or, or what, what the idea was. But what makes this particular, it's called ICE or International Cigar Expo. It's going to be the first of its kind in Shenzhen, China. You know, and Pedro told me for years that he was real that the Chinese they they buy smoke a lot of cigars. Now, doing business with a communist regime makes it so it's almost impossible to make any money dealing with them. Well, and I've talked to people who have lived in China and are familiar with doing business in China, and it's without getting into politics too much. You know, one of the reasons that communism fails is because absolute power corrupts absolutely. So. It's not like there's a lack of money in that country. I mean, heck, everything within 10 feet of us is probably made in China, with the exception of the cigars that were made in the South, in Central America. Well, and, you know, I'm sure there is good Chinese tobacco. I'm sure there's got to be some. It's just locked the, away from us. The country's big enough. They have to be growing it somewhere. But, yep. yeah, so uh, Habanos S.A., and Davidoff Cigars have already announced that they're going to be participating in this. A uh, hundred other domestic and international exhibitors. That's what, I, I'm curious if that domestic means domestic to China or domestic to here, because this is articles from Cigar Journal, so it's a it's a U.S. publication. So I'd be curious to find out about that. Um, but this will be the first time China's ever hosted an event of its kind. I can't wait to hear news out of this and see what's going on. I'm sure it won't affect us in the U.S. market at all, but just to kind of get a window into that that side of things I think will be interesting oh yeah smoke get a rent a moped smoke a cigar drive down the wall of the Great Wall of China there you go let's, let's go ahead and put that on the bucket list right well speaking of bucket list more international news yeah so Rocky Patel is landing in Greece on they've actually already landed September 12th smoke cigars Emporium and lounge has hosted the official launch of Rocky Patel Cigars in Greece. Um, the retail shop's located at 52 Kiprow Street. For all of our Greek listeners who are going to weigh it. Yeah, sure. There's a, there's a map at the bottom. Hey, it's in Cigar Journal. Go to the bottom. You can, you can see the map. A little bit of how the sausage is made here, folks. The article that we got this from is four sentences one of which is the address. So we're really struggling here to bring. But but the bigger, I mean, the bigger news is, uh, you know, Perdomo launched in uh, the Czech Republic about eight, nine years ago. I was um, talking with Chris Harper, their national sales manager, back when that happened. Um, so I don't remember the exact timeline. But, and now we've got Rocky in Greece. And it, what I like about this is it is that the uh, the shop owner actually was the one he put all the onus on himself. I mean, he was really instrumental. This wasn't Rocky seeking it out. This was this guy who had an affinity for his cigars and brought him in. But I love hearing news about this because you know everyone that we talk to that's in the industry says that Americans smoke and buy ninety to ninety five percent of the cigars made in Central America. I love seeing cigars moving into Europe and becoming more popular in Europe. Well, and can you imagine when you're taking that tour of Europe, there being cigar lounges that you can go in and meet people? Yeah. And it'll be amazing to me to find out what their palates are like, because the food is so different. The cuisine is so ch- versatile. Yeah. And the, you know, the climate is different. Uh, you know, it was when I was in Italy last year, you know, I was lucky enough that Toscano is, is made locally there. At, but in terms of an actual cigar shop like we know here and cigars like we know here, there weren't any to be found. So, yeah, how fun to know that, you know, when I eventually get to take my Grecian vac- vacation, that there's a there's a place just for me. Unfortunately, I don't have to smoke Rockies, but there's a place just for me. Hey, Rocky, Rocky is a good cigar. Rocky is the king of the cigar under eight. Rock, I, will, I will agree with that, but not every cigar is for every palate. I recognize the quality of his cigars and the value of his cigars, but it just doesn't hit my palate right. 
Well, um, one more thing I want I do want to talk about. I'm bringing this to you out of nowhere. Thank you, thank you, show prep. I got the chance to visit Big Boy's Cigars last week in Dixon, Tennessee. I've been there once. I saw that you were smoking with Al. Yeah, I got to smoke one with Al McAuliffe, and Al is such a good dude. He was so generous and gregarious and so nice to my wife, and he's just a true gentleman. Let's talk about somebody living some life, and, you know, he was talking about flying. He's like, you know, I own three or four private jets, but I flew commercial down here. What did he do before he opened a cigar? Automobile stuff. Ah, There we go. And all, and he said, you know, when I started the cigar brand, I said, well, I can either get up in the morning and go to the cigar lounge, or I can go to cigar lounges all over the country and talk about my product. And if you look at facebook.com slash the cigar cast, you'll see the picture of me standing there with Al. I've got to get you to start logging into Instagram so that you can post over there too. Um, but as I, I will say, I've been to Big Boy Cigar Lounge in Dixon, Tennessee. Any of our local listeners, if you ever make it out that far west of Nashville, it's absolutely worth a stop. You wouldn't think in a small town like that that the cigar lounge would be of the quality it is. Um, it absolutely is. You you have you there's there's nothing to differentiate it from the kind of shops you find here. Well, we got to get a road trip together. I spoke to the owner of there. I believe his name's Danny nicest guy ever um he invited us to come do a podcast from there so we'll definitely i've I've talked to him about that before too so yeah we definitely need to make that happen we've got a couple of shops that want us to come do shows here in the next little bit once it starts cooling down we need to dust off the the automobiles and and spread it around a little bit more well it's a and i'll tell you it's a simple shop it is not what you consider what you typically think of when you think of a cigar lounge it actually looks more like a one of my favorite things in the world, the old 1970s sandwich shop. Yeah. And he built a humidor in the corner, and he had some really unique stuff there. I ended up dropping some money there to get some really unique things to smoke that I'll be smoking in the coming weeks on the show. And just a great, and the, the customers, the clientele, I can't say enough about how welcoming and gratuitous, you know, how, I don't know. Gracious. Gracious. There we go. Not gratuitous. Gracious. I found the same thing. You know, it says a lot about a shop when you walk in and the people who are regulars there are convincing you to come back. Right. They're welcoming you. They're welcoming you. And you got to come back when you can spend some more time, hang out. We all, you know, and, and telling them about the events and the stuff they do. Like that's, that's a big star cigar in Mount Juliet's like that for me. I love, I, I don't always get out to Mount Juliet, but when I do, I always stop in and see Tony because he's got that kind of shop where everyone welcomes you in and they want you to come back. So yeah, just a, just a great group of people. And Dixon's not a big town. No, it's not. It's really, really, probably probably only about a hundred thousand people. But it's he he's one hundred percent in on the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come, and they have came. And we sit there and we talk to people from Centerville that had come to see Al. We talked to the people, the locals there. Um, he had some outstanding barbecue and outstanding wings that they actually had the smoker out front of the shop where they did it yeah. themselves. And the client, the customers were actually bringing covered ditches. It was, it's like a that's that's yeah. Tennessee for you. Yeah, it's like a it's like a Baptist, you know, right. Sunday dinner where everybody just takes off and unco- uncovers a dish. Exactly. Well, if you do happen to check out that shop or any other new shop that we've talked about on the show or anything, take a picture while you're there. Send it, tag it, tag us in it. We'd love to see where you're smoking as well as what. So the way you can do that is Instagram dot, Instagram and Twitter at the Cigarcast and Facebook.com slash the Cigarcast as well. Well, thanks everybody for listening this week. Um, really had a good time talking to Luciano. My thanks to him again. Our thanks. Um, just a great show tonight, and I think that's a good place to wrap it up. All right. Well, thank you everyone. Till next week, have a great cigar and think well of us.